2: and definitely check out those shows as well. Sarah Addison Allen is the author of Other Birds, a novel. Sarah is the New York Times bestselling author of seven novels she calls Southern Fried Magical Realism. She was born and raised in Asheville, North Carolina, where she still lives. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Other Birds, a novel. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to have you. We were just commenting, listeners, that we both have color-coded bookshelves. So it's a very happy Zoom right now. All Zooms <laughs> should look this festive and colorful. <laughs> 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 so Sarah, just let's get the preliminary stuff out of the way. Can you please share what your book is about?
3: Sure. Other birds. It, it starts with um a character named Zoe, and she's 18, almost 19, and she's out on her own for the first time. And she uh, travels to a small island off the coast of South Carolina called Mallow Island to take possession of an apartment her mother left her. And it's a very small complex, just um, five units. And that's where we meet all the characters. And Zoe is sort of the opening to the rest of the characters. And she is sort of the conduit in which all these closed-off people open up. It's In a larger sense, it's a book about what we hold on to and the secrets we keep and the ghosts we have around us and how to let go of
2: them. Yeah. Well, I feel like people are literally opening up their doors. I mean, it, the way you write is so visual. I felt like I was on the stage set of a play, you know, with the different doors opening and the birds and the office and then police come, you know, like it was just so visual and sensory the way you write that like you're literally there. I love that sense of place and the way you do that with your words. I
3: have it's it's my brain. It's the way I daydream. I think it is sort of cinematic, and I am I'm, I gravitate to pictures. And when when I'm asking what were my favorite books as as a child, it was always I always I remember the picture books the most. Of course, you know I read uh, I'll ton when I was a kid, but but the ones I visualized were, were the picture books. And I, in college, I, my senior thesis was on Alain Roe-Grelay, just because I read a short story of his in which he details a murder, but he does it in slides backwards as if it's a movie going backwards. And that's mm-hmm. stuck in my mind. So I think it's the way my brain works.
2: Wow. Well, it's one thing to have your brain work that way, but it's another to be able to effectively communicate it on the page with language. You know, sometimes (laughs) that stuff is in my head, especially like... I'm doing like a design project or something like, I'm like, I know I want it like kind of like this, but I don't know what exactly how to say that. So, <laughs> oh gosh, is that, that, that is the,
3: the, oh, all writers, all writers are like that. How do you take what you see so clearly in your head and, and put it into words yeah. to communicate it to, to other, to readers?
2: Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a universal, universal problem for writers. Yeah. Sure. Writers are really just amazing translators. is really what it is. (laughs) is, That's right. We are translators. I'd never thought about it that way. (laughs) So, you have had such an interesting career. You launched with a debut New York Times bestselling novel, and you've had books translated in so many languages. Talk about having that first big success and then what that kind of did for you going forward and how you maintain that. And then I want to talk about, you know, your the medical issues that came up and why you took a break and all of that.
3: Right. Well, Garden Spells, Garden Spells was my big break. Um, But I was an overnight success, 12 years in the making. It, It took me a long, long time to get published. And my dad was a writer he's retired. He was a journalist. He was a columnist and, and, and he wrote beautifully and poetically. And, but he went to a job every day. He actually, you know, went to a building and wrote and it was nine to five and he came home. So when I decided after college that I wanted to give this writing career a go, he did not understand, you know, I boomeranged back home and lived with my mom and I wrote as close to full time as I could possibly get. I did part-time jobs and seasonal jobs and nothing was happening. I was writing, I wrote literally dozens of manuscripts and he kept asking me, you know, when are you going to get a real job, Sarah? And so (laughs) Garden Spells, you know, was this huge surprise and I almost gave up writing. It was the book I came back to after I gave up for a while. And when I was asked what was the best part of being published, my answer was always my dad has stopped asking me when I'm going to get a real job. Uh-huh. So that, that, it was an amazing time. It was a stressful time. It was a time fraught with that, with anxiety because I was completely unprepared for what it looked like to be a working writer, what it was to promote your book. I was miserable. It was the best time in my life, but I was miserable. I didn't know how to handle it. I cried all the time. I would. I overate. I gained a lot of weight, and uh, you know, and I had uh, four best-selling books in a row. Bam, 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 and then all of a sudden, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had stage four breast cancer, and everything just stopped my world just stopped and i you know i went through treatment and i'm in, i'm i was and you know i my scans are clear i'm in remission and when i came back to writing after taking some time off i had you know i had an entirely new perspective of what it was like <laughs> to walk to that precipice and look at the end of your world and then, and what i saw was not a missed deadline so i learned how to sort of take things in stride because oh my gosh I know what's worse. And so um, I wrote two other books and then took another time, long uh, part off when my mom got sick and came back with other birds. And losing my mom was another whole new perspective. So each point in my life, every dark blue po- point in my life has taught me something, not only about myself, but about how to approach writing. And didn't you also lose your sister? I did. I lost my mother, my and sister within days of each other. Oh, so yeah. I'm so was, sorry. Oh, thank you. It was, it was a tough time and I couldn't write my way through it. I, I, I had to take, I had to take the time off. I couldn't focus at all. Ugh. Can you talk about how they passed away? Is, is sure. It- oh, sure. Um, my mom, uh, I had actually started Other Birds and then my mom had a massive brain hemorrhage, oh. and it left her profoundly brain damaged. And I watched her die for four years, and I fell into a. An, a an incredible depression. It was, it was, it was like nothing else I've ever experienced because I was losing. I had lost her, but she was still here. And because I was so very close to my mom, she was my best friend. When I moved out, I actually moved next door. So I lived next door to her forever. So losing her on that emotional level was tough. And but she, she was getting to the end of her life. We knew she was, she was in hospice, but then my sister died suddenly. And I was the one who found my sister, and I remember, oh. you know, no one could find her, and knew she had collapsed in in the yard. And here I'm giving her a CPR, and and she passes away, and then mom passes away, and then there are two funerals in six days, and there was a lot of trauma. There was a lot of things to work through, and I could not write through it. I couldn't journal. I I just I, I I just had to stop, you know. And I I, I grief is like this. I don't know this huge boulder that sits on your shoulder or your back and it's so heavy you can hardly move. And you think that you, your life is going to be that for the rest of your life. And I thought for a while, you know, I just don't, I just don't know if I can write ever again, if it's going to feel this bad forever. But eventually what happens with grief is that it gets smaller and smaller and smaller until it's a pebble, about the size of your hand. And then you close your hand, put your hand in your pocket, and you leave the pebble there. And you walk around with that pebble for the rest of your life. You still feel it, but it's no longer that way. You always know it's there. And once I got to that point, I could get back into other birds and and I finished it. And it had a whole new dimension to it because it deals with mothers and it deals with ghosts and, you know, people who have passed on. And so that's what brought me to this place. A lot of dark, but, you know, that dark magnifies the light and, and... with perspective
2: the 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 light is so bright you can hardly stand it oh, see i think it's so amazing that you can go through all that which is so awful and i'm so sorry and yet still go on your website wearing a huge sweater that says happy <laughs> like you know like it's it's like it's like okay i am choosing you have to really make that a choice like that is an active choice that you have to recommit to over and over again to say like i am going to still have a happy life when so many people who i love are not here anymore that's hard that's exactly
3: right. And, 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 you know, I've read bookends. I, I know from, oh. yeah, you know, what grief,
2: you know what grief
3: feels like, and you know, that it's a process you have to go through to get to the other side. And one of, one of the most important things I learned is that, you know, you can still grieve and still feel blessed. You can mm-hmm. miss someone and still celebrate a good thing.
2: They, you know, they, they, they can coexist. How, what were you doing? Like who was taking care of you? how did you get through that what did you do to get through i shut down actually you know i have i have a
3: very close group of friends i have my dad i, you know, I have my niece i've got my family and my friends but i i found out very quickly that something i didn't know about myself was that i'm not a fight or flight i'm a freeze and mm-hmm. i just shut down i did what i needed to do but after 3 days uh, 3 hours in a day of you know intense doing stuff or you know caring for my mom or doing paperwork i had to sit down and zone out I could not think about how hard and heavy things were. And of course, therapy came in very handy during this time, but it was just a it was just a process we have to get through. And, and one of the things we get bogged down in when we're going through something hard is we think it's never going to end. And that and, and that desolation, that that sense of despair can sometimes be so hard to get out of. But I, I have learned, you know, through several waves of of you know dark times is that give it time they don't last forever hope hope is so important and I, and I try to end every book I, I, I've written on a sense of hope you did the same with bookends and that just oh. <laughs> my my heart swelled with that
2: hope hope we need hope oh. thank you for reading bookends That's- <laughs> in other birds the, the loss of the mother is, you know, sort of a paramount feature and sort of re-inhabiting a sacred space from the past. And then in the beginning, there's a, a death right away. Like you're, you're, it's, you're in it, like you're just marinating in it, so to speak. So did you go back and write that? Was that the way it was? Were you like, how did you map your life onto your fiction?
3: I, you know, I'm such a pantser when it comes to writing that I, I have an idea. I, I have always, always, I know where it's going to be set. That's paramount. I, I always have to know that. The setting almost has to be a character itself. Mm-hmm. And then I sort of build the characters out of that. Opening up the story, <laughs> in the very first chapter, one of the, the very mean hoarder dies when a bookcase falls on her, which every yes. book lover's worst nightmare. Oh my gosh, so many books are going to fall on them. But um, that I, I realized early on, when I was writing first, writing *Other Birds*, is that character had to die in order for the rest of the characters to come yeah. together. But she didn't go away; she comes back in the sense of a ghost. And there are several ghosts in the story. We, we you know we get uh, points of view from the ghosts. It's part of the sort of the magic that run the magical realism parts that run through the book. So we still
2: get to know her after she dies. Yeah. Wow. And what like when you are in a free flowing things are going well type of writing mode what does that type of day look f- like for you like even on a good like on a good day you so you rebound from this horrific period of trauma and now you're sitting down at your desk writing. Like, are you like paint a picture of it for me? Are you all nicely dressed and made up like you are now, or like what are, you know? Like, where are you? What does this whole thing look like? Oh my gosh, it's
3: it is it is full of a lot of angst, and you know, it, it is, it is constantly fighting the urge to get up and do something that I don't really have to do, like laundry. Um, I it, it is making myself sit down and write, and. I, I, and when I was away from writing, I missed it. When I'm back in writing, it's like, oh my gosh, I really missed this. I missed how frustrating it is because writing is hard for me. It's hard to, to make something beautiful because, I, and I, I've said this a lot over the past couple of months that it's, and it's true. I am not a great writer, but I am a really great rewriter. The painful part is getting words, even if they suck, Onto the page, and then you can edit them, and then you can rewrite, and then you can put the magic in, and then you can find that right word. You can find that 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 beautiful way of describing something. But but the the first draft is always ugly, and it's and it's painful, and it's just making myself do it. I have a home office, and this is this is where I work, and I, and I treat it as a nine to five job now. When I was younger, I wrote well into the night. I was such a night owl, but treating it as a job was a was a big sign of, oh, I, I am, I'm an adult now. Look at me. I'm writing during the day. So <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is what it looks like for me. It's it's a job. It's, it, you know, my commute is from upstairs to downstairs, which, you know, stays on gas, but it's a painful process, but it's, I can't not do it. It is so much a part of who I am that even if I wasn't published, I would still be
2: writing something. Wow.
1: Pack your bags with high quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with quince. go to quince slash pack for free shipping and three hundred and sixty five day returns
2: And what about reading? How does reading fit into your life now and always? you know my my reading
3: habits changed a lot once I became published I, because I, I the interesting thing about when you're now being um, asked to read books before they're published for blurbs and things like that. It has opened up this entirely new world of books I never would have read otherwise. And that's been a, a joy. But I have I can't write while I I can't read while I'm writing. So I have to you know write the book and I have to be in it because sometimes other writers' voices will get in my head and I'll find my syntax changing a little from a book that's really affected me or I've, I've really really liked. But so I, I I go on binges after I finish writing and uh, let's see I. the last book I read was Myra Malone's Minuscule Mansion, which comes out in January. And it's a little stylish, magical realism kind of book. I enjoyed that. But I saw Kevin Wilson's new book came out and I downloaded it and I haven't read it yet because I really enjoyed his nothing to see here. Yeah. So um, it's, it's all over the place it, it, you know, I I don't sit down with a stack of books and read like I used to. Mm-hmm. I, I have to find time to do it, which I think is another adult thing. Sometimes being adult is fun, but sometimes it's just, uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't like it. I want to go back to that time where I can just be in a nook with a flashlight and, you know,
2: read <laughs> like what I did when I was a kid one of my kids the other night, who's very young, was saying how much they did not want to be a grown-up. And, like, literally, <laughs> there were tears involved, you know? Like, oh, all the responsibilities and all of this and what if this and what if that and, and you know, what if they had – I don't know. It was so sad. Oh, I was like, no, gosh. being a grown-up can be nice. You know? <laughs> Not all the parts, you know, there's a lot of pain, but there's a lot of joy. So I like the little saying like, no, don't grow up. It's a trap. It's a trap. Don't do it. Don't grow (laughs) up. (laughs) So true. So tell me about the differences with your fiction from sort of the before and after from your own health scare or not even scare your health, you know, challenge. And how did you, how did you diagnose, how did you find out about your cancer? And then like, in the whole craziness of the writing career, like how did you just slam on the brakes? Like what was that like when like everything was, must've been just swirling and going around you?
3: It, it, It was traumatic and it was out of the blue. I was 39 and I actually had a break in my schedule between my third and I just finished my fourth book and I was set to go on tour with it and I was uh, going to sign a new contract for for a new book. I had a chunk of time in which I had scheduled my dentist appointment. I needed new glasses, and I thought, well, I'm not going to have much time next year, so let's go ahead and schedule a mammogram. And lo and behold, I had a four-inch tumor that was so deep in the tissue, I couldn't feel it, and had spread to my lymph nodes and my lungs. I had no clue, no clue. And here I am, 39, faced with this while survival statistics are am I going to live to 40? How what's going to happen? And my world stopped. My and and it was oh, the worst thing that's ever happened up until that point. But it also took me to a place in which after after treatment, after it was all done, I was in a much better place that I uh, that I wouldn't have gotten to that place had cancer not happened. And I am not to the point where I can thank cancer for anything. But had I not gone through that journey, had I not learned what I learned, how if life had not made me stop, I believe I would still be as miserable as I was before it happened. It taught me a lot and it brought me to a better and brighter place. But I wish I wouldn't, I wish I had learned it another way, but the universe was saying to me, Hey Sarah and and it was probably trying to tell me that all along it just it was like bam it, i needed something big to teach me some lessons unfortunately i had to le- learn it that way but after after treatment and after i got back into writing i was determined and i got the question a lot are you going to put cancer into your books or you know is it, are you going to write about your experience and my answer was always no because i write magical things. I write about happy endings, and I couldn't make cancer good and magical. Mm -hmm. But lo and behold, when I finished this book, my first book after cancer was Lost Lake. What it was about was a character who had lost her husband. And she was coming out of this, this deep, dark place in her life, but she was finding something bright on the other side. So in a way I ended up writing about cancer and I didn't want to do it, but I wrote about a character who went through something similar. Oh my gosh.
2: You talk, you've been talking a lot about sort of the misery that came with the success, which I find very interesting because everybody (laughs) assumes that success brings mostly joy. So was the sadness underneath something you had wrestled with forever, no matter what? Like, is this just sort of your baseline? Or was it something about the success that like triggered something new in you?
3: You know, I think I, I, I think I am an anxious creature in general. I mean, I, I, I'm not a shy person, but I'm an introverted person. I keep my world very small deliberately because that's how I manage it. Mm -hmm. I don't like when I have a lot of things going around me. I don't like when I have a lot of things to do. So writing, you know, was a natural fit to me because I could be in my head, you know, where all the sparkles were—that's where I lived. And after *Garden Spells* was published, and, 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 and you know, after the success of that book, you know, having to travel and having to speak in public, and and the intense pressure I felt to continue that—to write an, a book that people would like as much—it was, it, I was, I was, I was miserable. And it was—it was, wasn't the success, and it wasn't—it wasn't. It wasn't you know, the attention, it wasn't the fact that I, that something good had happened to me. It was my inability to deal with it. I, I, because I had never had to deal with it before I'd become used to it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I, I understand how to deal with, with those kind of pressures, being an anxious introvert. Um, but back then I didn't because it happened so quickly. I thought, you know, I was going to my goal was to be a working writer. It was to you know, have a book published and maybe a few people would read it and it would be good enough that I could keep doing it. But I, I didn't foresee that it would happen, that it, that it would blow up the way it did. So it was trial by fire. I learned a lot about how to manage my anxiety just from, from that.
2: So how would you, like, let's say there's another author out there or they're about to have a book come out and they do have that temperament, which so many authors do have, like, what, is there any advice for, for getting through that? Or is it just you figure it out on your own? Or like, what would you say to someone who's in your shoes now?
3: Oh, wow. I would say, uh, you know, it's what I would say to myself, but, you know, I wouldn't listen. I wouldn't have listened to myself. It was, you know, take time to enjoy the good. Take a step back and look and put it in perspective. But also don't think that you have to give so much of yourself that you have to pretend to be this extroverted, outgoing person because they liked your book. You want them to like you, too. Just don't try to pretend to be someone else. Don't try to pretend that you're not scared to travel. If you're scared to travel, you know, if, if you if you have nerves in public speaking, oh my gosh, tell people that in your audience, they will understand. We are, we are so connected as human beings that we all get it. You know, even if there's, an, if you're talking to an extrovert, they get it. Go easy on yourself. But honestly, what I have found it is just with everything. It just takes
2: time from the from the deep to the from the to the detailed. Um, <laughs> you mentioned in the little like write up when we were booking this session that you uh, have a golden grams obsession. So <laughs> I want to hear I want to hear about all the food all the food stuff in your life because this oh is great.
3: <laughs> I oh my gosh I, I'm a big. I'm I'm a big foodie I'm a big eater I, you know I'm I'm not a very I don't have a very sophisticated palate but I have always from, a, from from the time I was a child equated food with love and so I've been an emotional eater all my life and the, this golden grams thing, I don't know what it is for the past year. I have just devoured them and I don't put them in a bowl and eat them with a spoon and, and milk. They, they will sit there on the counter and I will, you know, I will graze on it all day. And then I will blame people for eating them when the box is gone, when it's all my fault. <laughs> but I love food. Food shows up in, in all my books. I think it's, um, and it's so closely connected to my mom. Food is love. As it, is it, is it, it's a you know an extension of affection when someone gives you food. I also like the magical aspects of food, like like Water for Chocolate explores yes, that. that like, yeah. oh, I I just I, I can't not put it. It's in all my books as well because it's so much a part of who I am. I am I'm when my, when my mom got sick, I'd lost an incredible amount of weight very quickly, which is the only time in my life I have ever not eaten through something horrible. And so that was, that was, that was my huge clue that my, my eating was so closely to not tied to my mom. And, you know, all these years after my mom, my mom and sister died three years ago. And so I, and I've kept the weight off and, and it's because my whole habit changed because of, you know, going those, through those years of, you know, and, and coming out from that, I graze a lot and, but I, I don't, I don't overeat, but oh, sugar is my big downfall. I mean, I will, um, I have to resist that, especially when you're writing and you re- and you, and you, you, you find you're in the middle of something that's, something's just not working. It's that urge to go get a candy bar or something sweet because your brain zings and it sort of opens up and makes you happy and, and, and it make, makes you want to you know, write something
2: happy. So I had to resist that. But food has been a big part of my life all my life. Me too. I've realized that the only time I don't eat is if I'm really, really scared. Like it's not grief. It's not, it, it's not stress. It's not, it's only fear. That's I feel like that will stop me.
3: Now that's interesting. I never thought about that. Fear. Yeah. I wonder if it's something deep-seated, primordial that, yeah. you know, we can't eat if we're on alert. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it'll be a distraction. I wonder if that's it. Yeah. But that's an incredible observation. I'd never thought about that. Yeah. Wow.
2: What uh, if you could get your mom's dish, like something she made you today. Like, is there one thing you would be like, oh, I would love to just have one oh more bite my of this? God.
3: And I am a horrible cook, so I don't cook. So, I, you know, I. I, and she didn't write anything down. I don't have any of her recipes. Her potato salad. Oh, my gosh. I wish I had her recipe for potato salad. She made an excellent potato salad. I wish I had that. She made something called a Russian vegetable pie that I miss. She was just, it was an extension of, of, you know, I love you, so here, eat. She Mm -hmm. was like that all my life. But, yeah, I, I, I miss that about about her just she would stop by on her way out or on her way home and she would just drop off food sometimes I'd be gone it'd be food on my doorstep she was like a little food fairy so (laughs) it was her way of of showing love to not just me but to everyone
2: this classic southern food pusher here you eat (laughs) (laughs) so what what is coming next for you after after other birds what's next
3: I'm working on my new book right now. It is uh, set in North Carolina and it, it's got, um, you know, all my books have, you know, all the different genres, just romance and magical realism and Southern fiction and foodie lit all, all matched up. And this one's no different. It's, but it's set on, in central North Carolina during the rainiest season on record. And there are lots of buried secrets that are uncovered in the mud. And so I'm having, I'm having some fun to just sort of finding my way through the book through through the mud as it were but as difficult as writing is it feels good to be back into a you know the sense of normalcy so I am glad to be writing again
2: that's wonderful oh my gosh all right so what's your plan today after we get off this podcast what are you gonna do
3: oh my gosh I had to go to the grocery store (laughs) Oh, for a Christmas party, I've got to get stuff for a Christmas party. I've got to go feed my cats and my niece is coming home for Christmas. So I'm very excited about that. Just boring stuff. (laughs) What about you? What does your day look like? You've probably much more interesting stuff happening today.
2: Oh, you know, lots of meetings, lots of (laughs) podcasts. I have like four podcasts today. And if my team is downstairs today, they come in a couple of days a week. And, you know, my son does jujitsu today. And, you know, my daughter has a play date and all of that stuff. (laughs) Craziness, school pickups and all of that. So, yeah, life. It's
3: interesting reading your book. I, I because, you know, I don't thrive in, in a lot of things going on, but you do, don't you? It, it is, it's this idea of of having a, a lot going on. is where you find your zone. Is, is that true?
2: That is, that is true. Yes, I know. It's weird. <laughs> no, I think it's, um, I, I, yeah, I think it's I, fascinating and wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I like having a lot of stuff going on, that makes me happy. <laughs> Um, anytime I feel like okay, I have things under control, then I add something new. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I can manage everything on my plate. Time to open a bookstore. Like, let's do it. You know. <laughs> so yeah, I, I like to be overwhelmed. I guess it's you can read into that how you will. But. <laughs> Well, it was so nice chatting with you, Sarah. I really appreciate you, like you know, just letting me into your interior life and letting me pry a little bit. So, and it's just been a joy just to see you and to be somebody watching someone else's beautiful shelves in the back. It's just it's so like, nice, mirror. And I know it's perfect. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I hope you have fun at the grocery and stock up on your golden grams and have a wonderful <laughs> holiday season. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Zibby. I've had a blast. Thank you. you too. All right. You take care. You too. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.